Welcome to the sermon podcast of South Hills Church in Costa Mesa. My name is Chris Kretzu, and I'm the campus pastor here. Thank you for carving out the time to listen to this today. I hope that you will be encouraged and challenged, and ultimately that you'll have a deeper sense of God's love for you. I'll be back after the message is over, but until then, I hope that you enjoyed this episode. Well, good morning. Good morning, good morning, good morning. I feel like Pastor Chris stole a lot of my, my thunder there with the name Mike Myers. Not a killer, not a comedian, but am happy to be here. Um, yeah, it, a couple of things. You know, it, it's such a, it's an honor for me to be uh, here this morning with you all. Um, I've known uh, Pastor Chris and Pastor S for, Pastor S, you like that? Uh, been hanging in Costa Mesa a little too long here. Uh, Pastor Ez, I've known them for almost 10 years, um, and they've been longtime friends. Uh, they were, you know, have been a part of my life in a lot of different ways. I was just thinking about it. They were actually there the night that I got engaged, um, and so a lot of fond memories. We've served together in different capacities. Uh, I've been a part of South Hills uh, in some different capacities, and so now I get it's fun for me. I get to teach at different places. Um, was with Burbank campus last week and get to be with the Costa Mesa campus this week. Uh, I can just tell you, this is, it's a much better looking group than the Burbank <laughs> group, just, just, to, just so you know. Um, not missing anything. Um, yeah, you're welcome. Uh, but just real quickly about me, um, married and uh, we have two kids, brought a, a picture of our, our family there. Um, so that's us. And, uh, and then a picture of the girls there. We've got uh, Toil and Trouble. Uh, <laughs> tall and tr- No, we have McKinley is a tall one. And then we have Ellie. Uh, and they are, they are about 21 months apart, and, uh, which is just enough time to wreak a lot of havoc in your life. But uh, we're blessed. Uh, but it is, it is a, it's a true joy and an honor to be here this morning uh, to be able to kick off this series. And so as we kind of transition to a time of looking at the scripture and the content for this morning, it's always important to me as a pastor and a communicator at this point to pause and to pray. And what I'm going to pray and ask is that God would help us to be able to hear his voice. Uh, I actually believe if we can hear God's voice, it'll change our lives for the better. And you know, if you read through the gospels, Jesus would constantly say, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. It didn't mean that nobody had ears. It meant that there was stuff in their life that kept them from receiving and hearing God's voice. And so that's what I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna pray that God would help us hear his voice this morning. And my hope is that many of us can walk out of here saying, I heard God's voice for my life. Can you join me in that? Let's pray. So dear Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for who you are. God, we believe that you are good. And God, I know for some that's, that's easy to hear this morning. I know for others, they're dealing with things and situations and uh, there's thoughts that, uh, that are occupying their mind. But God, I'm, I'm asking that you would help all of us under the sound of my voice, whether online or in the room, have, help all of us be able to lay down the, the barriers, lay down the stuff, lay down the thoughts, that might block us from being able to hear your voice. God, I believe if we can hear your voice, our lives will be changed and transformed for the better. And so God, we don't rely on our own ability uh, to do that. We rely on the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit to speak. And so God, we open ourselves the best that we know how this morning. God, we pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen and amen. Amen and amen. Well, have you, ever, have you ever cared about something that other people didn't seem to care about? 
Have you, ever, have you ever cared about something that others didn't seem to care about? A couple of weeks ago, something very monumental uh, happened in my life. Uh, it was something that was uh, a long time in the works. It's something that I, am, I care deeply about. I'm very passionate about this thing. Uh, it's something I'm heavily invested in. It's something that has been a, a place of pain in a lot of ways, uh, but here recently has been a great source of joy and happiness for me, and that is the Cincinnati Bengals were in the Super Bowl a couple of weeks ago. Growing up in Ohio in the, in, in the city of Cincinnati, uh, the great, great city of Cincinnati, uh, this has been a very uh, uh, emotional ride for us back there. Have you... Have you ever cared about something that no one else cares about, right? Uh, but what about you? Maybe it's a, a passion or an interest. You know, you're a history buff, and you can, you can call out dates, and you know stuff, and it's like other people don't seem to appreciate that. Or maybe you're a fan of red wing boots, right? Or, or there's something that you're into that other people just don't seem to be into. Or how, how about this at work now that we're beginning to gather back together, and now that we're able to have food together again, and you maybe got on a health kick over the last couple of years, and as people were bringing in sidecar donuts, you're the one bringing in those kale chips, and uh, you're like, you lost me at sidecar, right? But, or, or marriage, when you get married, right? Don't you have, then you have this thought of like, well, we're in, we are one. And we care about the same things together. And then you realize that some of us care a lot about making the bed in the morning. And some of us, oh, that's nobody else here. Okay, all right, right. Uh, but what about this? Uh, any fans of The Office? The Office, right? A couple of us. And you can quote it almost verbatim. And you're like, why does no one else share this passion of mine, right? But have you ever cared about something that others don't seem to care about? Well, here's, here's my question for this morning. Here's something we're gonna wrestle with as we move on, and that's this. What about when it comes to our happiness? What about when it comes to our happiness? Maybe a different way to phrase it since we're in this context this morning is does God care about my happiness? Does God care about my happiness? You know, one of the assumptions that we're making and in launching into a series like this is that it is something that God cares about. But I, I, I think that this is a question that if you consider yourself a Christ follower, a lot of us wrestle with. Does, does God, I, I tend to care about that, even if I don't express that, or maybe I'm not vocal about that. I, I care about my happiness, but does God care about my happiness? So that's the question I'm gonna wrestle with this, this morning as we move on. But I want to set up the series. So we're in a series called How to Be Happy. Turn to your neighbor and say, how do you be happy? Turn to your other neighbor and say, I don't know. That's why I'm here, right? <laughs> how to be happy. Why a series on happiness? Why would South Hills launch into something like this? Well, uh, in, in worldwide surveys, when they ask people about what's important in your life, the number one thing that surfaces is happiness, that, they, that that's the goal. I'm trying to be happy. I'm working towards my happiness. So, so we want to kind of, we want to wrestle with that because it's something that we all deal with. But in addition to that, uh, happy people, some re research has come out and what they found is that happy people have stronger marriages, uh, lower odds of divorce, they make friends easier, they're healthier, they have a stronger immune system, they tend to live longer, uh, happy people tend to make more money are better leaders and, before, and perform better at work. Now, before you get super depressed, let me move on. Happiness. So it's important for us to define 
happiness, right? Happiness is one of those words. It's like a suitcase worse. We need to unpack it so that we all understand and have a common language of what we're talking about. So here's how we're defining happiness, not only this morning, but throughout this series. Happiness is the experience of joy, contentment, and optimism connected to the belief that my life is good, it's valuable, and it's meaningful. Let me read that again. Happiness is the experience of joy, contentment, and optimism connected to the belief that my life is good, it's valuable, and it's meaningful. So that's, that's our working definition of when we're talking about happiness, that's what we're referring to. It's also helpful to understand what it is not. So in a very simple slide, happiness is not the equivalent of pleasure. I think for some of us, that's something that we, we, uh, we get crossed at times. Happiness does not necessarily mean pleasure. Does God want us to enjoy and have pleasurable things? Absolutely. But it's something that we need to understand because sometimes I think in our pursuit of happiness, we misunderstand that and think that it's a, it's a pleasure thing, and that's where we can end up sabotaging our happiness. So we got what it is. We got what it's not. For this morning, as we kick off the series, I'm going to look at a passage in 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 5. So as you have your Bibles and you move in that direction, before we put it up, I'm going to set up some context for us. 2 Kings chapter 5 is, is a, it's a great, great story. It's, um, it's interesting that they've kept it intact. Uh, and there's a lot that we're going to pull from it uh, this morning. But a couple of things just to know. So in 2 Kings chapter 5, there's, it's, sto- it's a story centered around this person called Naaman. Everybody say Naaman. I was talking to my daughters, the two daughters, I was talking to them this week, and I was telling them how, you know, we were talking about Naaman this week, and they were so, they enjoyed it so much, they decided that they wanted to rename our dog Frank from Frankie to Naaman. I said, we're not going to do that, but we'll stick with Frankie, but Naaman. And Naaman, what you need to understand about Naaman is that Naaman was an outsider. He was not, he was not in the he was not from the people of Israel. He was not any of those things. He was an outsider. And on top of that, he was actually an enemy of the people of Israel. And so those are things to wrestle with as we look at the text this morning. So 2 Kings chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. If you got it, would you say, I got it? Oof. For everybody else, thankfully, it's on the screen, right? Here we go. Verse 1. It says, now Naaman, I want you to pick up on all these like adjectives and how he's described. Naaman was the commander of an army of the king of Aram. The Aram was a nation that was in conflict with Israel. He was a great man in the sight of his master and he was highly regarded because through him, the Lord had given victory to Aram. It's a little editor's note from the people of Israel. It's like, this is how they explain how the people of Israel were able to be defeated. Of course, because God was the one that helped defeat them. But it says he was, a, he was a valiant soldier. And then if you have a Bible, you're taking notes, underneath you can highlight that. But there's this one detail in the text. All these great things, there's one detail, but he had leprosy. Goes on. It says, now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. Now, we're not, we're not going to spend a lot of time on this person, but this person is a very important person in the story. In fact, this person is kind of a, a pivotal character that moves this story along in a significant way. But you need to understand something. So, this, so just picture this slave girl was in, uh, the, in, in Israel, and they sent out ba- this band and army, a little brigade, went out and uh, snatched her up. It's likely that the whole family was taken off someplace else. So this... This girl had lost everything, was totally displaced, and now she finds herself 
over here serving Naaman's wife and in Naaman's household. But she says to her mistress, she says to Naaman's wife, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. What I'd like to to sit in just for a moment is this person of Naaman. As we've read that text and, and what you picked up on was that what scripture is trying to do is they're trying to drive a point home that if anybody should have been happy, it should have been Naaman. Naaman was a commander of the army. It says that he had influence. He was strong. He was wealthy. He had, he had a lot of things going for him. I'm sure if he had an Instagram account, lots of likes, lots of comments, right? Lots of real views, if you will. And so they're trying to highlight and point out that if anybody should have been happy, it should have been this person of Naaman. Now, before we kind of move on, because there's this little detail in that text it says what? But he had, he had leprosy. So before we move on, let me just set the stage for a second with a point. The point is this, is that the appearance of happiness is often accompanied by something that ails us. The appearance of happiness is often accompanied by something that ails us. I don't know, you know what your history has been or what your life has been, but as you think about different seasons in your life, isn't that, it doesn't that hold true that you have a lot of things going for you in this season of life, but there was always like something, right? It's like, I'm, I'm, I was, when I was in high school, I was, you know, I was, I was trying to go to prom. I was, there was this thing. Uh, when I got into college, you know, or there was a college I wanted to go. Everything seemed okay. I was healthy. You know, I, I didn't have <laughs> student debt, <clears throat> right? Like everything seemed like everything was going good, but there's always something that ails you. You get, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get married, trying to meet somebody, but throughout life, What I've noticed, and I think what the story is highlighting, is that um, the appearance of happiness is often accompanied by something that ails us. In the text, in the text, Naaman had a lot of good stuff, a lot of things going for him, but there was that one little detail, but he had leprosy. Now, leprosy is, is, my guess is that Nobody in this room has ever dealt with leprosy, uh, you know, is currently dealing with, you know, dealing with leprosy. That's, that's my guess. But just, just so that we understand the weight of that detail in the text, what it was, it was this, it was a disease. It was a skin disease. And if you read the Gospels and you read the different stories, you know that it was a devastating thing. That for some that had it really bad, they put them all like in a quarantine community. Now, how many of us know what quarantine means, right? But they were all quarantined into a, into a place because and they kept them together. And anytime they were in public and somebody else was going to approach them, they would have to yell out, unclean, unclean, right? You had to like let people know, COVID, COVID, uh, okay, just... Right? But they had to yell it out and let people know, hey, no, 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 I, 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 you can't, can't come near me. It was, a, it was a very big deal in their time. But for us to like understand this, because we're going to go someplace in just a second. So this is what leprosy was. Leprosy was, it was slow moving. So as soon as you got it, initially it was just kind of blemishes. And then if it, w- if it went untreated, it would actually become debilitating. It would, it would become painful. And it was a socially isolating disease. And if it really got further, it would be disfigurement and it would eventually cause death. So it was a bad deal. Like if you, if you had this thing, 
So this is what it was. And for, for Naaman to have had this, he was a powerful person. He had a lot going for him, but he had this little detail. And he must have been, Scripture doesn't tell us this, but he must have been desperate for something to happen because what we do learn is that he's so desperate that he's at this point where he's willing to listen to this outsider, this foreign uh, uh, maid that's in his house that she says, hey, there might be this opportunity. And he's like, okay. So he's so desperate. I want to hear this. Now, my guess is, is that we don't have this. We don't wrestle with the condition of leprosy in my life, but I do want to pose a question to us. And the question is this. What, what in your life is something that feels like leprosy? What in your life is something that feels like leprosy? You know, something that is slow moving, it's debilitating, it's painful, it's socially, it's socially isolating. Um, this is a bit of a silly story, but when I, in, uh, in 2009, I moved from the great state of Ohio. Uh, okay, I grew, moved from the great state of Ohio to L.A., uh, to be a youth pastor, join the staff of a church. Um, it was uh, I was living in North Hollywood. The church was in the valley, and I I was uh, I had just graduated from college. Uh, I was young. I, I was single at the time, and uh, I had a um, I had a a two door 2004 uh, gunmetal gray Honda Civic with tinted windows and a little bit of stereo in the back. And I'm not saying it was impressive, but it was respectable, okay, right? But I had this car. Well, very, very soon after me moving out there with my car, I was no longer able to afford my car on my youth pastor salary, so I had to sell the car. And so I sold the car, and I had a, a family friend in the area who offered to let me borrow his car uh, for the time being. And this car was a 1991 white Nissan Sentra, five-speed with no power steering and no air conditioning and no tinted windows. The no tinted windows is an important detail because I don't know the design of that car. It was literally like driving around in a greenhouse. It was so hot and everybody could see everything I was doing in that car, right? Which was mainly this and this, right? Um, but I was driving this car, and, and it wasn't a big deal, right? I was happy. I, you know, I had sold my car. I was happy. Everything was going, everything was fine until you're trying to meet friends and maybe meet a lady, right? I know that that's nothing that you all wrestle with this in this, in this room, and I've, I've moved on. I've, I've, I've matured a little bit, okay? But at the time, big deal. And I was, I was like, oh, my Lord, this is going to be an issue. Sure enough, I, I started to attend. So I'm a pastor, youth pastor at this church, trying to meet people, moved there, totally sight unseen, didn't know anybody, had a couple of contacts in the area. And I started to attend this, uh, it, was a, it was kind of a younger uh, church, and they had a, a service on Sunday nights, and it was at the Mayan nightclub in downtown L.A., and so I, I, I would attend this. Now, when I would pull up in my 91 Nissan Sentra, I would not exactly park in the front, okay? So I would find my spot. And, you know, I was trying to, I was desperate for community, trying to meet people. And sure enough, um, I'm, I'm attending one of the services, and there's literally an earthquake. There's literally, literally an earthquake. Not a big one, but it was, there was literally an earthquake, which was the perfect icebreaker for an introvert. Right. I literally looked around to the other people and said, did you all feel that? Right. And so I we started to talk and uh, and it went, went well. And I met like kind of a group. There was a group of people. And of course, you know, they had some people 
the opposite sex that I was interested in, and right? And so we're, we're talking, everything's going really well. And I thought, great, like we're, you know, we started to make plans to go out after the service. This is excellent, right? The Lord answered my prayer, right? So I'm happy, I'm moving in this direction. As we get to the parking lot, I'm walking so excited, and then I literally freeze because it dawns on me what I'm driving, which is that 1991 white Nissan Sentra. Have you ever had something in your life that was slow-moving, debilitating, painful, and socially isolating? Now, I know, like, you know, it's a, it's a silly story, and I get that. But here's my question. My question is this, is that I, I think in our lives there are, there are things that can feel like leprosy. I think there are things in our life that can feel like this thing is debilitating, this thing's painful, it's, it's isolating to me. You know, as you think and you reflect on your own life, what, what could something like that be for you? You know, maybe it actually is something physical, right? There's a, there's a physical thing that you're dealing with that it just, this thing really is keeping me from where I'm trying to go. Or maybe this, emotionally, you know, it, it, I wrestle with anxiety. You know, and, and anytime somebody hears that, it, it feels that way. Or, or I wrestle with mental health, and anytime somebody hears that, it feels that way. Or maybe there's a past, you know, my past is checkered, and I've been trying to work my way out of it. I've been trying to get away from it, but it feels like it, it's just attached to me, and it's debilitating, and it's, and it's this thing. Maybe relationally, you know, maybe, maybe you've been in a, a season of singleness, and you're wondering, why am I still in this single of, season of singleness? You know, I look around, my friends are getting married, now they're having, having kids, or maybe you're married and you've struggled to have kids, maybe you've been married and now you're in a place where you've been through a divorce, right? There's, there's these things, I think, in our life where maybe we don't identify specifically with the physical condition of leprosy, but if we're honest with ourselves, I bet that there's some things in our life that feels like leprosy. And so here's Naaman, everything going for him, but there's this one little detail that, that if left unchecked, would have totally derailed his happiness. Here's the good news. Turn to your neighbor and say, finally, some good news, right? We've talked about not being happy, leprosy, where is this guy going? Here's some good news. Here's the good news. The good news is that God has a heart for your happiness. I think that this is a series that some of us might wrestle with because of maybe we feel that maybe God has bigger things to handle or we feel that maybe God has some bigger concerns that he needs to address. But you need to hear this. This is, the, I think, the heart of this series and definitely the heart of this message. And that is that I believe God has a heart for your happiness. Now, I love how Pastor Chris is not here and I get to kick off this series on happiness when there's conflict going on overseas. But can you hear me this morning? You need to hear something from your heavenly father. Here's what I believe. I believe that your heavenly father is big enough to be able to hold your happiness and care for your happiness in one hand and also hold the conflict that's going on in our world at the same time. God can hold, God is, a, is big enough to, he, to where he can hold this and he can hold that at the same time. Do you know how I know that this is true? How many of you share, raise the hands, you would say that there's stuff going on in your life. Say, yeah, hands, 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 couple of us, okay, right? Now, how many of you have children, and when your child comes to you with a concern, do you not do everything you can to meet that concern, yes or no? 
right? So if we, being broken people and broken parents, can have, the, have this going on over here, stuff's going on at work, I'm trying to figure out how to pay this, I'm trying to do this, this is a big deal. But anytime that two-year-old little, two little, two little girl comes to me and says, Dad, can I have a cookie, right? Or whatever it is, you know, kale chips, whatever. You fill in the blank, right? But anytime they come to me, absolutely, you think I say, Ellie, are you kidding? There's something going on over here, you know. It's in, it's in the cupboard. See if you can get to it, right? Broken dad, even for me, I can hold this, conf this thing over here and still meet her need over here. Your heavenly father, who is perfect, who is all-powerful, can hold your, care for your happiness in one hand and also care for what's going on in the world in the other hand. I think that's important for us because what we tend to do is we tend to put this thing away, even though it's still a concern for us, even, so we're, even though we're still working at it, you need to know that God can handle that as well. So the good news is God can hold two things in the same time. And the good news is, is that God has a heart for our happiness. Unfortunately, the story doesn't end there. Wouldn't it be nice if the story ended <laughs> with, and he was healed and he was happy. And we went on and everything was good. But the story doesn't end there. Pick it up in verse four. It says, Naaman went to his master. I, wanna, I want you to see a couple of details from these verses. So Naaman went to his master and he told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means go, the king of Aram replied. I'm gonna send a letter to the king of Israel. So he comes to his master and he says, I'm gonna send a letter to the king of Israel, which was kind of interesting because they were in conflict. And so Naaman left, and he took with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. All we need to pull from that in this moment is that it was a pile of money. He took a lot of money with him. And the letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter, I'm sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. And I didn't include the next little two verses. All it was was the king of Israel receives the letter, tears his clothes, and is like, this king's trying to pick a fight with me. How am I can't bring people back from the dead, but then it picks back up. It says, when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he's gonna know that there's a prophet in Israel. And so here you go, pick it back up. So Naaman went with his horses and his chariots, and he stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Now, very quickly, I believe, as I just mention to you that God has a heart for our happiness. I believe that in one hand. Here's another thing that we also need to wrestle with. God is trying to bring happiness in our life. I believe that's his objective. Here's something that we also need to understand as we go through this series, is that we, we often obstruct what God's trying to do. Meaning, I mean, a little different way to say this, there are times where we cannot get out of our own way. There are times in our life where we cannot get out of our own way. Here's a couple of things from the text that I want to highlight. Observations. The first one is that, so he, so he receives this information from the Israeli girl. Hey, there's this possibility that you could be healed. And what is the first thing that Naaman does? He goes where? He goes to the king. He goes to the, his master is what it says. And now 
I'm not trying to pick apart. I'm sure it was customary at the time, but there's a, there's a big observation that I want to make from this is that the first thing I think in the ways that we obstruct what God's trying to do is that we run to other people. We, we tend to look to other people to make us happy, right? And <laughs> if you're married to anybody, don't move in the room, right? But, but we tend to look to other people to make us happy. I think we do it with friends. You know, we just did a series on friendship. I think we do it with friends. We're looking to friends to make us happy. I think we do it with our leaders. If we just had this leader there, that wouldn't have happened. If we would have just had that leader there, that wouldn't have happened. We look to our leaders to make us happy. We look to experts to make us happy. Well, if they had right data, if they had this right, then I can take that and that's thing. Well, I'll get where I need to go. But the big idea from this passage and from that observation is that, is that we tend to look to other people to make us happy. Second, second observation, I think, in, you know, when we tend to get in our own way, is that we look or we rely on our own means and methods. That we tend to rely on our own means and methods. Meaning, I want to be happy, that's my objective, that's where I'm going, and God's saying, I want to join you in that. Let's do that together. First thing that we do is we tend to look to others. The second thing is that we tend to rely on our own means and methods. In the passage, uh, he takes what with him? He takes a, a pile of money. Like he's going to try to go and influence uh, whoever it is that could potentially bring that healing. So he's going to bring money. And I think we do the same thing. For some of us, we try to throw money at it. Like if I could just go to Cancun on that resort trip, nobody else that wouldn't make you happy, right? But if I could just put some money at it, if I could just have that Ford F-150 Velociraptor and look down on all the other peasants, right? Like, <laughs> if, if I could just have that thing, if I could just wear Lulu pants, I would be so much more productive, right? I, I know that this is nothing Costa Mesa wrestles with. I know that this is the Burbank campus mainly that wrestles with that stuff, right? But we try to throw money at it. We, you know, when I, I'm trying to be happy, I think one of the things our tendency is, if I just made more money, I could just throw some money at it, and then I'll be, I'll be happy. I'll take the trip, do the thing. I think the other thing is that we, we by, and that's why I said means and methods, we tend to work at it, right? Which I'm not, I'm not saying bad. I think there has to be some effort, but, but I, we, we try to work at it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work my way into happy, or we try to network my way into happy. If I could just have that contact, that friend, right? If I could just get in on that LinkedIn, right? I could be happy, and the last part, and this, this is a detail that you wouldn't get just from reading it, but Naaman shows up to Elisha's doorstep with what? Horses and chariots. Horses and chariots were things that you took into battle. And so what he is saying to Elisha is, you're going to do this thing, or I'm going to make you do it, right? And I think we, when we're trying to be happy, not only do we throw money at it, we're going to work at it, we're going to network at it, but then at the end, we say, I'm going to force this thing. I'm going to force this. And the last one, and this one I think is the most pertinent, if, you're, if you consider yourself a, a Jesus follower in the room, I think this is something that a lot of us have felt and experienced uh, in, our, in our walk with the Lord, is this last detail, and we see it in verse 10 and 11. It says, Elisha sent a messenger. I love this detail because you have... <laughs> Naaman is bringing money, a letter from the king, war, he's bringing his chariots, he's bringing his horses, and I love that the man of God meets him with, not himself, not the same kind of effort, he sends a messenger, sends a messenger, and the messenger says, 
go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you'll be cleansed. But in verse 11, look at this. It says, but Naaman went away angry. And he said, I thought, think about that. I thought that he would surely come out to me and he would stand in front of me. He would call on the name of his Lord and he would wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Arbana and Pharpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? And so he turned and he went off in rage. I think God wants to help us get to where we want to go. But this last one, I think, is the thing that gets in a lot of our ways for those that are trying to follow Jesus. And that is this, is that we attempt to maneuver how God should do something. Meaning that we have strong opinions on what God should do and how God should do it. God wants to bring happiness. Yes, we're over here. And how many of us, we have an idea of how he can do that, right? God, I'm looking for you to financially bless me, Lord. Bless me, Lord. Does anybody want that in the room? Anybody some financial blessing? Okay. Rest of you. Did you take notice of those who raised hands? Maybe you could bless us. No, just kidding. But, but God, bless me. Bless me. You know, I, I need, this, need this to happen. You know, hoping for this to happen over here. And then in our mind, we have a preconceived idea of how God could do that. I'm going to check that mailbox. That check. Nope, empty. But opportunities popped up, a little bit of side work, a little bit of ways that I could hustle and make some extra money, but because it doesn't line up of how I want God to do it or how he should do it, I'm upset and I'm angry. I think God wants us to be happy. I think he, that is his, what he's working towards, but we have to stand back at times and let God be God and deliver how he wants to deliver it. Turn to your neighbor and tell this, say, tell this guy to move on. Tell him to move on. I know I asked this question, but right in that point, maybe even to, to accentuate it a little bit more, um, you see this with kids. One of the things that I've enjoyed being a dad and having little kids is that you see what they're doing, and it's, it feels like it's a mirror at times of what I'm doing. Right, it's just very. It's just more simple. It, it's more obvious what they're doing. But then, if you if you if you watch and reflect on it, you realize, oh, that's what I do. Uh, you know, our, our our girls. How many of you? How many of you have kids? Very quickly, just very quickly. So, okay, a lot of us in the room have kids. Um, you then you understand this concept. You know that there is a there is a what they want and there's a how that they want it. Yes, meaning my two year old will say, Daddy, I, I I want you to bring me a baby. I want you to bring me a baby, right? So dad is like, great, want a baby? No problem. Go to the toy box thing, get the baby, deliver the baby, deliver the baby. She says, I wanted the pink and blue one, right? <laughs> Delivered what she was asking for, just wasn't what, it wasn't what she wanted or how she wanted it, or she wanted me to get on, act like a horse and deliver it to her, right? Whatever it was. And I think that this is something that a lot of us wrestle with in the church is that we've prayed about something, we believe God for something. And here's the thing, God is delivering it. It's just not the way that we want him to deliver it or how he is going to deliver it. So I believe God has a heart for our happiness, but I also believe that 
that there's a lot of times where we just need to get out of our own way and let God deliver. So how do we do that? How do we do that? Let's see what Naaman did. Look at verse 13 as we, as we kind of lay in the plane. It says, Naaman's servants went to him and said, my father, which they're, they're using this kind of delicate uh, words to them or, or, or soft words, my father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you to wash and be cleansed? And then it says, so he went down and he dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored and he became clean like that of a young boy. I think the secret sauce to this message, and I, and I really believe a, a major part of this series moving forward is gonna be this, this slide and this idea right here, is that happiness always involves a step of humility. Happiness always involves a step of humility. It, it's, it's interesting now, there's, there's, um, there's a book that's coming out, it's actually called Humility, it's by some Oxford authors, and they're researching these, this relationship between humility and happiness. And what they're finding is that there's a very strong relationship between the two. That, that in order, and I think that you see this in the passage, you see what was Naaman's problem? He wanted to be healed. He felt that if I could be healed, then I'll be happy. And so the, answer, the prayer was answered. Elisha sent the messenger and said, hey, just go down to the Jordan River, dip seven times, all done. You can be healed. But the thing that he could not get over was his pride. No, 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 that's not how it's gonna work. Don't you know who I am? Don't you know what I've done? Don't you know what I can do? And the thing that kept him from getting to where he wanted to be was his, his pride. And so I believe that this series is going to be based on, or the foundation of it is that concept right there, is that humil your happiness is going to involve a step of humility. Now, I realize that is, that is not a very sexy point. I totally realize that part right there, but you need to hear something because I believe it is fundamental for you to experience happiness. What, what, is, what is happy, right? What, or I'm sorry, what is humility? Let me very quickly define this for us because there's a lot of different ways that you can look at it and it doesn't mean that I gotta be a doormat and now I've gotta feel like other people are better than me. Like what, what are we talking about here? Very simply, humility is freedom from pride or arrogance. Humility is being free from my pride and being free from being arrogant. God, you, this is what I'm praying for. This is what I'm believing you for. I believe that you're good and you can do these things. And I oh, okay, that's how you wanna do it. Great, I, that's where I wanna go. That's how you're gonna do it. Great, that's, that's what I wanna join you in with. That's what I wanna join in with, with you on this. But humility is freedom from pride or arrogance. Another way to look at this or another way to frame this uh, is how C.S. Lewis uh, puts it. C.S. Lewis says this, Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less. So humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's just thinking of yourself less. And this is something I, I really hope that we wrestle with, that we take with us uh, past this, you know, or into this series and past it, because I believe it is, it is the bridge to your happiness, is being able to, to take a step of humility. Now, how does, or what, is a, what does a step of humility look like? I wanna give us three quick things as we, as we end. 
a few steps, if you will. Uh, the, first, the first step is the humility to be in community. The humility to be in community. In the story, what was the catalyst for Naaman to get healed and be happy? Does anybody remember? The servants, his friends, his community, the people in his life came to him and they reasoned with him and they said, if the, if the prophet had told you to do something really, really difficult, would you not have done it? How much more? Just do the simple thing. And he listened to them and that's how he stepped into his healing. I believe for us to step into the happiness that we're after, it's gonna involve the humility to be in community. This is a, a great moment right now at South Hills because we're launching groups. This is an opportunity for you to, to get into community, you to get into growth groups. I love the little saying, you know, we grow a lot more in circles than we do in rows. But, but, but if you really wanna step into humility, I think that, or, or, or happiness, I think that this is a step forward, is the humility to be in community. And can I say this too? I know that we love our online service and we love our online community. Right? Okay, one person, right? I know that we love that, but, but there is no substitute. There is no substitute for being around other people. I think one of the things that we have learned through COVID, and, I, and some of you are like, ooh, are you going there? It's okay. Pastor Chris will be back next week to clean up the mess, right? But one of the things I think that we've learned is how a lot of our issues and problems have been exasper exasperated. I don't know if I said that right, but right, they've been blown up because we've been isolated. We, we've, you know, and we've found these substitutes of, oh, I'm just gonna watch a message online, I'm gonna do this, these things. There is no substitute for being in community with the people that are around you. I think it is what God designed. I, think it, it, I don't think he changed his mind on that. We are intended to be with each other. Second thing is this, for humility. The humility to rethink how you think. The humility to rethink how you think. You don't have to show a hands, but how many of you would say, there was a time where I thought this was true and I was wrong. <laughs> the humility to rethink how we think. You know, Romans chapter uh, 12, verse two, I don't have this for us, but a, a big uh, thrust for Paul was that if you wanna experience transformation in your life, it starts with this thing in your head. That transformation to be renewed, we are renewed, we're transformed by the transformation, by the renewing of our mind. What we're looking at with this series, and even in the text, Naaman said, I, I thought that you would do it this way, right? And it, it would have been a block for him without the community in his life. But here's my, my challenge for us, is we wanna step into happiness, it's gonna involve humility, the humility to be in community, the humility to rethink how we think practically practically a way to ground us i think for for this is to express gratitude we just kicked off lent lent just started this last wednesday with ash wednesday what a what a beautiful time and a beautiful practice for, to practice the discipline of expressing gratitude whether that's through journaling whether that's through the notes app on your phone but just one two three things that this is what i'm happy for right I'm happy for my family, I'm happy for my spouse, happy that I don't drive a 1991 Nissan Sentra anymore, right? Like, what? are we still tracking? Okay, right? But whatever it is, to ground us in that, 
You know, it's interesting about the word humility. It comes from the Latin word humus, which means earth or soil. The humility to be grounded in a place like that. It's going to involve the humility of being community. It's going to involve the humility to rethink how we're thinking. And it's going to involve the humility to encounter God. The humility to encounter God. You know, Naaman does get healed and he experiences that. And it's interesting because of what it does for him. Not only did he experience the healing and now he's, he's got clean skin, but, and he, now I believe that it was a place of happiness for him, but, but he also encountered God. And the reason that I know this is because we've got verse 15. This is our last verse for this morning. It says, now I know that there is no God in the world except for the God that's in Israel. He says, now I know that there is no God in all the world except for the God that is in Israel. You see, as I think, as we move towards this place of of happiness, it's going to involve humility. And it's the humility to be in community, the humility to rethink how we're thinking, and the humility to encounter God. It's what Naaman experienced. I believe it's what we we will experience through this series. But let let me say two things, and then we can invite the band to make their way up here. The first thing is this, and it's that question we we started with. Does God care about my happiness? Does God care about my happiness? I think we all know the answer from that, and that is this, yes. God has a heart for our happiness. God is big enough to be able to have a concern for our happiness and hold that and be very um, focused on that and also hold the different stuff that are going on in the world and around the world. God has a heart for our happiness. And if you're, this is the first time you're here today or maybe the first time you're hearing uh, a message from this church, you need to hear that, that that is, a, that that is a, a primary point. God has a heart for our happiness. And I wanna encourage you, I wanna invite you. Would you make the next couple of weeks a priority for you? Would you make the next couple of weeks a, a priority as we journey together? Each message kind of connects to the next one. But can I also encourage you with this? is that uh, on your seats are the little invite cards for the series. Let me, let me share something with you. So I, I, work, um, I work for a commercial construction company. I, I'm their GM, their HR person. And so the nature of my role, I, I interact with a lot of people. And can I tell you something? You see, for those that are Christ followers, you've been walking with Jesus, there's a lot of things that we take for granted. We take for granted coming into a, a building on a Sunday morning and hearing teaching, being able to pull stories like, like Naaman and grab these nuggets and apply it to our life. It enriches our life. It helps us make decisions. It shapes us, helps us learn how to parent and lead and all that kind of stuff. And we walk out of here and, and we assume everybody else has the same information. But you need to hear something. There are, there are a lot of people, coworkers, your neighbors that are struggling. I talk to them on a regular basis. You know, and, there, and there's part of me that's like, ah, you need a church like this one. You need to be in a community like this one where someone can guide you, someone can direct you, someone can walk alongside you and help you move you in the direction that ultimately I believe will lead you to happiness. Would you make this a priority? And then would you make a person a priority to invite them, to bring them back with you through this series? But the second thing is this, and and this is maybe not for everybody, but I think it's for some of us. I wanna challenge you with this, and that is, what is your definition of happiness? You know, in the story 
Naaman was the outsider. If any, you know, if, if God should have been concerned about anybody, wouldn't you have thought it should have been about the Israeli girl who had lost everything, who had been uprooted from her family and her culture and her life and stuck into this place? But you know what's interesting? The hero of this story isn't necessarily Elisha. It's not necessarily the messenger. I believe the hero of this story was that little girl who spoke, I know of somebody somewhere where you can find healing, that you can find hope, that you can find happiness. I believe the hero of this story, and I think that this is the image that God is wanting to plant through this series and into this church, not only this church, but the South Hills church as a whole, is that, is that what if what God is trying to do is to loose us from our happiness being attached to circumstances and materials things and Ford F-150 Velociraptors, and he's trying to uproot that and put us in a place where we can be a church in a community that even though everything isn't going in my favor, I can stand here and tell you about there is one who can bring you hope. There is one who can bring you happiness. There is one and his name is Jesus. What if Jesus, what if God is trying to uproot us from what we think will bring us happiness, put us in a place where we can say, regardless of what happens, I know that God is good. I know that God not only is good, he's working things out for my good. And I want you to know that there is a God who is after your good too. What if that's the picture that God wants us to get to, a place of maturity that's not attached to what's going on, but rather it's rooted in the hope and the goodness that we have found in God. What if that's actually how to be? Would you pray with me this morning? We'll close our time. Well, regardless of where you may be at in your faith journey, I believe that everyone has a next step that they can take. If you'd like more information about what it means to put your trust in Jesus, information about getting baptized or maybe even attending a Discover class to grow more in your faith, you can visit us online at southhills.org forward slash Costa Mesa and then scroll down to the next steps section. If you'd like more information about tithing or supporting South Hills financially, you can visit southhills.org forward slash giving. Thanks again for listening today and I hope that I get to see you soon.